Well, good morning, Miss Mercy Vineyard. It is my absolute honor, pleasure, and privilege to be speaking from, for, to you today uh, from wherever you are sitting and watching this. Uh, as Leo said, my name is Jesse Carlson, and I've been a part of Mercy for 13 years now. And uh, while I miss seeing all of you, I also uh, am so fortunate for this chance to get to connect with you. And uh, I pray that these words find you well and healthy and uh, enjoying your Sunday. So uh, I start today by telling a story about my husband, Josh, that I usually start preaching with. Uh, he grew up actually in a vineyard church throughout his whole life. And I remember years ago, the first time that he met my parents, uh, they asked him, so Josh, uh, what do you believe in? We don't know a lot about this vineyard church. Uh, what, what's kind of this core? What, what, why, may, why do you follow Jesus? And he simply said, everything changed because Jesus came. When they asked him what he meant to explain a little bit more, as matter-of-factly as he always is, he simply said, Jesus came. He was here on earth and he died. And because of this, everything changed for me and you. Now these past few weeks, we have been learning about Jesus's time on earth and what Jesus did and taught us before he died in the, on the cross in the Gospel of John. And today I get to end this sermon series by focusing on John chapter 12. Now John chapter 12 is considered the last chapter in the first half of the book of John. In some ways, or in many ways, it is the setup chapter for the crucifixion of Jesus, which is going to be the fulfillment of hundreds of year old prophecies that have been spoken to the descendants of Jesus, that a Messiah would come and a sacrifice would be made. See, Jesus has just raised Lazarus from the dead, and the news of his miracles are everywhere. We find ourselves at the beginning of chapter 12 with Jesus dining with his followers and reminding them that he won't be with them for very much longer. His death is imminent. A little bit later, we find Jesus riding in on a donkey, as many of us know as Palm Sunday. And after Jesus arrives in Jerusalem, a group of people want to talk to him. But he politely declines. For you see, there is another storyline going, well, going on as well. The story of the Pharisees and the religious leaders of the time. See, these groups of people thought that Jesus was here to destroy the temple where they worshiped and where people came to worship. And they were worried that he was actually going to be destroying the nation that they had built. And so throughout these chapters that we have been exploring, they're also beginning to plot his death. See, throughout Jesus's time on earth, much of what Jesus was doing and saying was going against Jewish law. It was going against what these religious leaders thought was right. See, they knew there had been a prophecy that a Messiah would come, but certainly Jesus wasn't that Messiah. He was just too different. He was too surreal. And in fact, the very end of chapter 11 tells us that some of these leading priests had publicly announced that anyone seeing Jesus must report him immediately so they could arrest him. Now I bring up this second storyline today because at times I think we can sometimes skip over understanding the fear that Jesus represented to the religious leaders of the time. It wasn't that they were ignorant or maybe even didn't want to believe, although I'm sure there was some of that too. It was just that Jesus was preaching a new way to view God, 
to access God, a closeness with God for everyone that just had never existed before. See, Jesus coming to earth and being an accessible, touchable Son of God was something unheard of. Jesus was telling them that they would no longer need to sacrifice an animal for a sin. He was walking among crowds outside of the temple. He was making wine at weddings. He was raising people from the dead and sitting with women. See, Jesus was demonstrating that the new kingdom he was talking about was a kingdom where God was accessible to all. He was showing them a new way to view God. And here's what Jesus also knows, which brings us to today's chapter, John chapter 12. The kingdom wouldn't fully be realized until his blood was a sacrifice forever. Now, Jesus knows this, and so let's take a moment to pray. I'm going to read a, a section of uh, some verses from John. I would encourage you to read the whole chapter. It's a really long chapter, chapter and I'm only going to read a portion of it. Um, and then I will pray, and then we're going to dig into the word and what it means today. So Holy Spirit, I pray right now that you would come, you would dwell in me, you would impact my words, and you would dwell, God, where the people are at, Lord. I pray, God, that you would be near with us, you would be near to our souls, you would be in our midst, and we would fill you in a real and tangible way. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, let's read. John chapter 12, 23 through 33. As Jesus is responding to his disciples, now the time has come for the Son of Man to enter into his glory. The truth is, a kernel of wheat must be planted in the soil. See, unless it dies, it will be alone, a single seed. But its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. Those who love their life in this world will lose it. Those who despise their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. All those who want to be my disciples must come and follow me, because my servants must be where I am. And if they follow me, the Father will honor them. Now my soul is deeply troubled. Should I pray, Father, save me from what lies ahead? But that is the very reason I came. Father, bring glory to your name. Then a voice spoke from heaven, saying, I have already brought it glory, and I will do it again. When the crowd heard the voice, some thought it was thunder, while others declared an angel had spoken to him. Then Jesus told them, The voice was here for your benefit, not mine. The time of the judgment for the world has come, when the prince of this world will be cast out, and when I am lifted up on the cross, I will draw everyone to myself. And he said this to indicate how he was going to die. Now, as I was reading commentaries on the book of John, one of the points that was emphasized about these scriptures, in particular the section of scripture that I just read to you, is that while Jesus spent his time demonstrating the new era of God's kingdom, this was not the only purpose or even the most important burden that he carried. You see, the greatest burden Jesus carried was the separation of our souls from God. Now, the word soul is a word we often say in Christian circles. And honestly, it was a word that a rule follower like me was always confused by. I didn't like it when people brought up the word soul. And what in the world was Jesus talking about then? Now, I'm going to give you a little bit of history. See, before Jesus came to earth and died, God was not accessible to most people. And a personal relationship with God 
like we know today didn't exist. See, the high priest would offer a sacrifice for a person's sin through the blood of a cow or a goat. And in fact, in the temple, there was a room that was the most holy place, a place that only the high priest could enter to seek the atonement of sins. And an actual veil, like a big thick curtain, separated this room from the others in the temple. It was only accessible to this person. And this atonement, this sacrifice of an animal's blood had to be done year after year because the sacrifice wouldn't last. Now, the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke all tell us that immediately after Jesus' last breath on the cross, the veil in the temple was torn into two pieces. This veil, this barrier that was marking the holiest of holies, the place between the clean and the unclean, and between the holiest of rooms and the rest of the temple, was gone. For you see, there was no longer, after Jesus died on the cross, a physical separation between being close to God and us, between asking for forgiveness and us, and for living in God's kingdom and us. And because Jesus came and because Jesus died, the Holy of Holies was no longer only accessible by a few. God was accessible to all. See, God was no longer just a God of ritual and rules. He was a God that came close to people. And Jesus declared this in John chapter 12 when he said he would draw people to him on the cross. See, Jesus had drawn crowds, but this isn't the crowd he was talking about. He was talking about you and I's souls, a oneness and completeness with God. But a year and a half ago, my mom, some of you knew her, she was a member of this church, died of cancer. And a few months before she died, I was over at her house one day and she mentioned to me that a chaplain from the hospice company uh, that she had taken care of her had visited her. When I asked her what they had talked about, she simply looked at me, smiled and said, well, I'm not gonna tell you that, but I will tell you something that he told me. You see, Jesse, I was telling him all of the things that I needed to get done and wanted to get done before I died. And he interrupted me and he simply said, Nyla, which was my mom's name, you have cared for others in your body for a really long time. And let's face it, your body's kind of done right now. You need to care for it a little bit, but it's pretty much done. No, Nyla, what your main focus should be right now is your soul. Nyla, how are you nurturing your soul? How is your soul? She then changed the subject in this conversation with me to something on politics she had heard on NPR, as only my mother could have done. But I remember being stunned by her words, and they have stuck with me in how I view God in my own life ever since. See, my mother was posed this question to her when she knew the time left on this earth was short. I pose this question to you. Some of you may be facing horrible illnesses like she was. Some of you may be tired from job hunting in a really tough job market, hoping to make ends meet. Others are you have tired of unanswered prayers. You've been asking God for the same things, hoping just one more prayer will make a difference. Others of you are just simply tired. It's been quite a year, people. But here is the thing. This question of how is your soul is a question for all of us in whatever stage or situation of life we find ourselves in. 
Ruth Haley Barton, in her book, Sacred Rhythms, Arranging Our Lives for Spiritual Transformation, describes our souls as the following. Our soul is that place at the very center of our being that is known by God, that is grounded in God, and is one with God. Now, I have to admit, a few years ago, I would have scoffed at this statement, laughed out loud, and said, I don't have time for that. This soul work is just for the people who have a lot of feelings, right? I'm fine. I can, I, I can do this thing without thinking of my soul. See, I was a leader, and I still am. And while my gift, my work, one of the ways that I connect with God and serve my community is through serving and leading, and that's great. And please, don't stop doing those things. Those are all good things, and God commands us to do that, right? But there is something more in this life and more that we have in Jesus. A connection with God so deep, so real, and so raw that it is a oneness with God. The connection of a mere mortal human being like me, being with the creator of the universe. How can this be? See, in the midst of many of our normal spiritual routines and rhythms have changed, no longer are we able to go to our own temple, our own church, with our coffee, where I drop my kids off in their kids' programming, where I sit in the sermon with all of you and I get to worship as a group. But here's one thing that hasn't changed. <clears throat> the ability to be at one with God. The gift of Jesus dying on the cross for our souls and experiencing the peace of receiving Jesus' forgiveness in our life. Now, what does this mean for us today? What does it mean to live in oneness with God? What does it look like to receive Jesus as the Savior of our souls? My husband and I have had the privilege of working from home uh, since the beginning of this pandemic. Um, and in the first few weeks of, of the quarantine, our, our four-year-old, Simon is his name, um, had a bit of a hard time understanding that while daddy, for the first time, was, was in the house all day, every day, uh, at our desk, in our bedroom, working, he wasn't fully available. He was actually in meetings and working. And so here's what this actually looked like in our first few weeks of quarantine, and I can imagine it was similar for you. Um, I'm gonna share with you one particularly memorable experience. I was downstairs probably washing dishes, and all of a sudden I heard our bedroom door slam open and a squeal from a certain four-year-old that I know. As I raced up our stairs and walked into the bedroom, I see our four-year-old somersaulting, jumping, shrieking with delight on our big bed and I look over at my husband and I see 10 other people on his computer screen, all trying to listen to Josh as my husband is presenting a statistical analysis of something going on with the company. I see these people trying to listen to Josh, looking at Simon, looking at me. Well, Josh, if you know my husband, you can just see him not missing a beat, totally doing this, the financial analysis or whatever he was doing, sorry, honey. In what is not my finest parenting moment, I run over to the bed, manage to grab Simon by his feet, because mind you, he's somersaulting and I can't get him by any other body part, drag him out of the bedroom, shut the door, and I bring him downstairs. Now, after I'd got a safe distance away from our bedroom so the poor people on Zoom couldn't hear me shout, I looked at him and went, Simon, what are you doing? Why were you bothering daddy? 
and he looked up at me with these big brown eyes of his, suddenly realizing how angry I was. And he simply said, but mommy, daddy's here. Why can't I be with him? Now, thankfully, as the months have gone on, Simon has learned that while daddy is always in our house, there are times when daddy is working and we can't see him. And there are other times that Simon and his brother Reese can hop onto his lap and join him in greeting his teammates, teammates as they join him for a meeting. But most days, as some parents might relate, I usually get the same question. Mommy, is daddy done yet? Is he done with his meetings? When can we see him, mommy? See, in many ways, what Simon is experiencing is the already and the not yet. He knows daddy is here. He can hear his voice. He sees him when he comes down for lunch. But the full glory of when daddy is completely available to our four-year-old Simon to chase him and to jump on the trampoline is yet to come. Friends, when Jesus died on the cross, he not only drew our souls to him, but it also says that the prince of this world, Satan, was no longer in charge and God's kingdom was ushered in. The kingdom that Jesus has spent the first 11 chapters of John telling us about. A kingdom where we see people healed, where we have a God that we can come to in our brokenness with no matter whatever we have and he welcomes us. The separation of the need for sacrifice is gone because Jesus died on the cross for our souls. We get to experience the already of God's kingdom, the good things that God has for us in this imperfect world. However, what the Bible also tells us is that God's kingdom will not be fully realized until Jesus once again returns this time forever. And in these moments, the not yet, as John so beautifully talked about death last week, are around us. When there are pandemics, loss, hurt, pain, and we wait for our God to come. Friends, please hear my heart on this. When the not yet of our reality becomes overwhelming, ask God to remind you what he is already doing. It can be so hard to remember this at times. I feel it just like the rest of you, right? We've been dealing with loneliness, injustice, disease, and inequalities. Don't forget to God to come to help with that. Don't forget that Jesus is continually fighting on our behalf. And remember that there is a peace that comes in knowing that our God is with us. A God that sent his son to cast out the prince of darkness and begin to restore the world as his own. While we already do, we sometimes are living in the not yet. Also remember that the already exists, that Jesus is still working amongst us. He is still with you and he is accessible to you whenever and wherever you go. See, I know for me, one of the ways that Jesus keeps constantly reminding me that he is still in our lives and that he is still working because he came and died is because I can live in peace and not anxiety. See, there are a lot of choices and unknowns that we are making today that we have never had to make before. Do I send my kids to school in the midst of a pandemic? Do I visit an aging loved one wanting to provide community for them, but also keeping them safe? What does this fight for justice look like for me as a white woman? And to my brothers and sisters of color, as the world explores the injustices you have faced and are facing, what does that feel like? 
What do I do when the world seems more anxious, more fear-driven than it has ever before? See, the Bible tells us that the peace that surpasses all understanding will guard our hearts and our minds forever. God's peace is not something that changes the circumstances you are in, but it changes us. It changes me. And by asking for God's peace, we are allowing the work that Jesus did on the cross to enter into our lives and into our souls. My friends, that is one of the greatest gifts that we have in the already of God's kingdom. See, in John chapter 12, the verses that we read, Jesus' soul was troubled. He says it. He knows that he is going to have to face insurmountable pain and take the weight of our souls on him on the cross. But as he cried out to God and said, God, why am I doing this? His circumstances didn't change, but the peace that I can imagine he felt in his soul did, knowing that his Father God was near him. So as you navigate this world, as we navigate living in the tension of the already and the not yet, know that God's peace is available for us. Know that God's love is still there. Know that there is a peace that while our circumstances might not change, God meets us where we are and uses that. My mother, that I talked about earlier, believed in Jesus as the savior of her soul. And I, as her daughter, am grateful for the peace that I have knowing that she is in heaven, she is running, and as our six-year-old Reese likes to remind us, she doesn't have to worry about quarantine or coronavirus, mommy. See, because Jesus came to this earth and died, we can also have the assurance in our own soul, the peace and the gift of not only being close to God on this earth, of receiving the good gifts of God's kingdom, but also knowing that we could be close to him when our time on earth is done. You see, being drawn to Jesus, the work that Jesus died on the cross, that drawing of our souls that he is talking to him, the sacrifice of him dying on the cross, that's a lifelong journey from here throughout eternity. See, it's a faith that God is with us at all times. And my friends, it's accepting that the gift of salvation every single day of our lives, continually coming back to Jesus. We don't have to wait for the Holy of Holies. We don't have to wait to make sure we go through a ritual of going through the veil or the curtain. Jesus is close to us. He's at one with our souls. We just need to reach out and ask him. So my friends, in the midst of so much going on, let us not forget that we worship a God that sent his son to die on the cross. That the message of the cross, the hope of the world, the tearing of the veil, is just as much for us in 2020 as it was for the people that he was talking to in the verses I read. Jesus is God's son. He's the savior of the world, but he's also the savior of my soul. And he's the savior of your soul too. He is the word made flesh, the hope of the world. My friends, my prayer, my hope, my joy for you today is this. May your souls find rest in his mercy and his grace.